Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Family Business Podcast. We are continuing our look in this series at the Quest for Legitimacy, which is a research project that I was invited to be involved in by my friend and colleague, Dr. Jamie Weiner. Jamie has written a fantastic book that captures through the stories that we heard from those that we spoke to during the project Uh, the experience of growing up around significance and in a prominent family. So if that resonates with you, I highly recommend that you buy the book and have a read through. It is a fantastic book. For the whole of this series, all of these episodes is going to be held under one page on the podcast website to make everything really easy to find. So that's fanbizpodcast.com forward slash the quest. But also to let you know that the Quest for Legitimacy has a standalone website, and that is questforlegitimacy.com. So there's a lot more over there on the research. There's a lot more there on uh, how to buy the book and links to do so. And we will also be populating that with blogs and articles from various publications that are very interested in this project. And also there's details there on how to get in touch with us if what we speak about resonates and you're looking for help or support in your own right there. So uh, do head over to questforlegitimacy.com. There is a separate newsletter that you can sign up to there. So if you join the mailing list, we'll keep you informed of any future um, articles or updates on the research. So as I say, in this episode, we continue to look at more of the detail around the research itself. So Jamie runs us through the four phases of the quest what that means for those who are experiencing this. And we also share some stories from the research to help bring this all to life as well. Um, Really enjoyable interview with Jamie. There's a great story in there about his own childhood um, that I'm sure uh, will raise a smile. I'll hand over to that interview now. I hope you enjoy it. And please share with anybody that you feel this would be relevant for, either in your professional life or If this uh, resonates with family members, then please do share, um, as we're very keen for as many people to know about this as possible. Right, I'll hand over to the interview with Jamie. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Quest for Legitimacy uh, special series of the Family Business Podcast. I'm joined once again by my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Jamie Weiner. Jamie, welcome to the show. Good to be here again. (laughs) And we are going to delve a little bit deeper into the research and and the book that you have written, which um, 
we again we will link this up all in the, the show notes before we go into the detail of the phase of the quest for those that um, might need a, a reminder of what those four phases of the quest are could you just give us uh, a quick run through of um, what they are and then we can delve into the, the detail a little bit more yeah so the first phase is the phase of awareness it's usually connected to some connection that tells us that we're, there's something unique or, or different about our experience. Um, and we'll go back and certainly talk more about that. The second phase is, you know, we grow up, we're very influenced by the institutions and the environment that we grow up in, but we begin to get exposure to the outside world. And, you know, we start to bring stuff back. And at first it's cute. Later on it may not be so cute. But we live internally in a world that I call the tug of war between the world that we were brought up in and the world we're being exposed to. And again, these phases are not linear, so we can get pulled back into this at any point in our life. We can get pulled back into awareness. The third phase, and it's a significant phase, um, and in the book there's a whole chapter on it, is the phase of exploration. It's really the phase where you know family is more internal than anything else. And we, where we begin to be exposed to the external world and we start to do this sorting to define between the different things we found, who we are in, in our exploration of ourselves. If we do that relatively successfully, it's a struggle. This is not like some magic that happens. It leads to a point in our lives where we take ownership of our lives. And um, we may take ownership of parts and come back and take ownership of other parts. But it's the point where we truly become ourselves and, and powerful in our own rights. Fantastic. And the, the, so the purpose of what we're discussing today is twofold I guess firstly is and I think this is really important across the the entire series of, of what we're recording here is a lot of what we talk about will resonate with people and I think that can come with some levels of reassurance that I'm not alone in this this is not the, the circumstances with which I've grown up with may be unique but the challenges and the experience I'm having might be uh, more common than than I think and part of that for me is is us explaining and helping to people to understand what perhaps an awareness phase would look like or would feel like to people. And we've got some stories we can share from, from um, some of the people that we spoke with, but c can you capture it in terms of what it might feel and, and look like for people who will be hearing this, it will be resonating, going, okay, let's delve a bit deeper on this. So I, I'm glad that you mentioned the this, this sense of being alone because I, I truly believe that if in understanding these four phases, people um, 
walk away and begin to realize that somebody is sitting over here feeling alone and down the street, somebody else is feeling alone, even though the experiences may be very similar. And in fact, on college campuses, there's an epidemic of loneliness. And so the awareness phase can be all kinds of different things. We, we interviewed somebody who grew up in a park that had a zoo. And it didn't take that person long to realize, hmm, there's something different about my experience <laughs> than the other people I know. It's, it's a little bit different for, for everybody. Um, you know, I mentioned in the first episode, the person who learned how to count by counting diamonds because she came from a diamond family. Um, but even the person we interviewed in a, a small community at some point in awareness that everybody paid, paid attention to it. I know for me as a rabbi's kid growing up, kids would get, people would come up to me and rub my hair and say, you know, I, I knew you when, you know, you were knee high to a grasshopper. I don't know where the expression came from, <laughs> but it was some awareness that there was something, um, unique about the world that I was growing up in. Mm. There's a, a lovely story as well that you share in, in the book around the, um, the time that the kid asked their parent um, about, your, about your dad, and uh, I won't ruin the phrase, but can you tell that story? I think it really captures kind of the essence of, of what we're talking about, and that there's an innocence to it, but it's also very impactful in terms of, of what we're saying. So rabbi's kid, I'm in a synagogue. And in, in, in Jewish community, synagogues are very simple. There's a, um, a ark where the, the scrolls of the Bible are kept. In the way the synagogue was sent up, my father had to enter from behind the ark. Was it a family service? There was a lot of kids, and my father comes out in a, in a robe and a, a white scarf called a talit, and all of a sudden, from from the audience, a kid turns to his mother and says, "Mom, mom, is that God?" <laughs> Can you imagine what I felt like? Who was I ever going to be if that was God? I wanted to crawl out of there. And I, I get it. It was a logical question for him to ask. Probably never been in a synagogue. Probably never saw a rabbi. A lot of people have never seen a clergy person until a certain age. And... Um, I knew there was something different about my life in that moment going on. And I guess as well, it also highlights that the, what we spoke about in the first episode around prominence is, is your father's prominence in that situation as well and the impact that had on you. And I can't remember how old you were when, when that experience happened, but, but you were young, right? It wasn't. Um, you weren't in adulthood. It was it was during your um, childhood as well. So I think me, everybody we interviewed, we all spend part of our lives just being kids, right? Um, 
I wasn't good in sports, so I wasn't picked. Well, you know, all, all, other people are good in sports, so they're, they're picked to be on the team first. We do well in school. And then almost um, out of the blue, we have sudden moments where something happens that reminds us um, about the uniqueness of our upbringing. And all the stories I've talked about before are examples of that. Henry Kaiser at one point realized that everybody was paying a lot of attention, that he was being going to be expected to be sent off to boarding school. And there was some understanding that at some point in his life, um, he had to be pre prepared for something special to happen to him. And I don't believe this happens because parents say, oh, my God, when you grow up, you got to, you, you know, you, you need you need to do big things. Mm. I think even when they say, don't worry about it, whatever you want to do, you go in your head, you're going back. Sure. I was I was born in the land of giants. I've got to measure up. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the, the essence of what you cover so brilliantly in the book is there are these these four phases um it, it's we term it as an internal quest for legitimacy rather than say an external quest for the kind of badges and certificates that, that we might um strive for and, and again we're gonna cover that in in much more detail in in future episodes be mindful of the fact that awareness can feel and look different for each individual for each person depending on um, their circumstances what they consider to be the prominence is it the achievements is it physical legacies is it wealth is it a, just the fact that there's a successful family enterprise and the pressure of growing up um, in in that environment we also need to recognize that that means that the subsequent phases that we've identified within the quest may look and feel different for, for people but there is a commonality in terms of that experience. And the next stage is the, the tug of war that, that we, we mentioned briefly at the outset. Again, can you give us a bit more in terms of the detail around what, what we mean by tug of war and, and what it might look and feel like for people who either have experienced it or, or will experience it going forward? There are probably lots of examples. The one that's kind of sticking out in my mind is um, of somebody who grew up in a family that was forced to immigrate, that built a huge business where the task of the film, family was centered more around math and science and was not her interest, was not. And the realization for her that she, she wanted to fit but didn't fit because of her exposure to the outside world and, and what she was beginning to see about herself as she grew up. Probably started pretty early. She, um, when we talked to her, she was amazing because she stopped us at one point and said that over time she realized it was all about achievements and that that tug of war um, made her question how is she how is she going to be enough how is she going to find something given all the gifts that she'd been given 
to live up to what she believed she needed to do um, and in a very loving way with her family. She had a very supportive family. That's a pretty dramatic example. I think we really heard lots of examples of the tug of war. Yeah, and um, I think, again, it's it's kind of that balance between the, the world that, that we've grown up within and then the exposure to influences from outside of that and kind of going, do I go over here and... and kind of delve into to this new exciting world that's new to, to the family, the, the presence of the um, prominence and, and the, the family around you um, in the world you're growing up in uh, and how how can the two match? How, how can I honour what I, I'm perhaps some of the expectations are of around me internally as well for, for me? How, how do I measure up to the achievements of those that have gone before me? whilst also going out and, and delving into this world. It, it can feel, I guess, quite confusing as well as exciting, as well as kind of part of growing up and how you process that. Uh, again, it, I'd be interested in your views on, you know, how people can can set themselves up to, to help navigate that phase. So one of the things that, that you're throwing me back into thinking about is how much in the awareness phase of the tug of war phase, that sense of being alone really begins to dominate. Kids in general don't want to share what's un- uncomfortable in their lives. And particularly if you grow up from a family of prominence, at some point you begin to realize this is different than what the kids I'm growing up around with or experiencing. And that's even true if they also grow up in prominent families, but you're not quite aware of the, the fact that they're struggling with their awarenesses and you know, the tug of war. You know, we interviewed a couple of people who ended up later in life knowing each other from certain circumstances and they had reached a point where they were now able to talk with each other about their roles in the family, about what, what their experiences meant. And it's a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's, again, we encourage people to, to go and read more about this um, in the book because, um, as you say, that there's multiple examples that we use within the book to, to highlight some of this couple of things as well I, I just want to ask at, at this stage obviously we we've stated that the path or the quest is non-linear so it's not you go through this for six weeks and then you do this for six weeks and then you come out with a certificate saying um, you have the, the quest for legitimacy is is complete there's a couple of things that spring to mind on that in the last episode we spoke about the fact that you've lived this experience but that you started the research with an appetite to be listening to the people that you've been working with, not necessarily recognizing at that stage that you had lived that experience as well. And so coming to that period of awareness for you much later in in terms of when we were talking to to people who were uh, experiencing it 
um, in, in their own lives. I'm, I'm curious as to how that was for you in, in kind of the realisation of, huh, hang on, this is really resonating with my own life as well and the feelings I had at the time and the kind of tug of wars that you had as a result of that. So we, we, we had some examples of other people that resonated with me and one of them was um, somebody whose family was the first family to build private housing in Scotland. And she talked about the experience of being able to drive past the houses. A couple of weeks ago, um, I had the opportunity to go back to a, a camp in Wisconsin that my father was one of the founding rabbis of. And um, there was a chapel that was, the camp was small at that point. It was built on the land of one of the summer homes of the Carnation family, one of the, a big, a big wealthy family in the States, and um, is now 250 acres of land, 1,000 kids a summer come to camp, and there had been a chapel there that got named after my father. And um, as I sat with the camp director and um, a rabbi who had been um, the assistant rabbi of my father before he passed, um, I couldn't help feel how, how big shoes I was born into. Oh. And what a powerful, you know, what with these families, what powerful things they that they create that live beyond their lifetimes. And I think some of the beauty was beginning that awareness, the tug of war, uh, it, all those things kind of set the stage for the, 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 the next phases of the quest. And, you know, I, I'm sitting in the chapel and it throws me back into an awareness of what it was like to grow up in that camp as a staff brat. Uh -huh. And um, how um, the, I was three years old and I had a little toy guitar and I'd follow the song leader as he would lead songs and I thought I was the cutest thing in the world at that point. <laughs> I didn't always think that, but, you know, there, there were those moments where it just, and I think that's the power of those early phases and why it's important to understand that when you come into a, you know, realization again, you're going to go back uh -huh. and um, you're going to go back to the awarenesses that set somewhere inside of you. Absolutely, and as you say, it kind of sets the um, the tone for the the future phases. Which, from tug of war, we move into exploration. And again, I think there's some it'd be useful to to use examples of, of exploration because some people might think, well, I need to go off for six months to find myself. What do we mean in terms of that exploration phase? What does it look like for some of the people that we spoke with and uh, how would you summarize that and i know there's a sp specific chapter in the book and it's difficult to just <laughs> summarize an, an entire chapter but but j just give us a feel for that so um 
I had a conversation yesterday about, um, you know, we talk about going off to college. We talk about whatever that experience is when you, you move away from home. And I was reminded by the fact that at that phase in our lives, if the brain isn't completely formed till the age we're 24, of 24, which is what the current research is, you're somehow expected to be prepared and not prepared for the next phase of your life. And we could get into helicopter parents and parents staying very involved in what's supposed to be your exploration phase. But, you know, one of the examples that we had was um, somebody who grew up in Mexico whose father's business actually went bankrupt while she was growing up, which is a separate story. It's in the book. But she really wanted to um, explore the world outside of the community that she was born into. And she pushed and she traveled. She um, had experiences where she was helping people um, um, who came from poverty. She, um, she did a lot during that period of her life to um, gain just, um, she went to a a, a camp with people from the, with the globe, and each day they would talk about um, a different, you know, the culture and from the person from India. Um, so I think exploration is very different for each of us. I grew up in the um, 60s and 70s. Um, I was in the middle of Grant Park when there were demonstrations for the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago, um, where the violence broke out. All of that, um, all that begins to add up as, as, uh, as we, our brains form, as we're figuring out who we are. Exploration uh -huh. can last um, for a good part of our lives. Um, there's some excitement in it, but it's also a period of challenge until we begin to feel that we're beginning to get a sense of legitimacy in our own right. And it's a very powerful phase. Mm. And those that, that navigate that phase of the quest um, we then refer to the final phase as ownership. And again, I think there needs to be some definition around this because often in family business terms and family enterprise or family wealth terms, ownership is obviously the term that's used for legal ownership of an asset or legal ownership of shares in a, a business. That's not what we're talking about, right? So if anyone's got an ambition that if I follow the first three phases of the quest, I will become the owner of my family business. This is not what we're talking about in, <laughs> in terms of uh, the, the ownership phase. So perhaps we could define what that means when we're talking about ownership, because I think it's a, again, it's a really important element of uh, the quest for legitimacy. You know, Russ, you and I have talked about this a lot because 
There's a lot of pressure, um, for, particularly for families who own businesses, to answer the question, am I going into the business or am I not going into the business? Am I getting shares? Am I going to be a shareholder? And, and we could spend a lot of time on that, but that's not um, what we mean by ownership. Ironically, in some ways, the writing of the quest for legitimacy of children of prominent families find their unique place in the world gave me a level of ownership that I don't think I've ever had in my life before because this was truly my accomplishments. But we saw this again and again. And, and you know, another example that comes to mind is somebody who grew up in a family where the older sibling took on the role in the business of leadership. And they had to sort out, well, if I'm not going to be that, who am I going to be? And um, how do I feel like I'm really making, you know, Freud talked about love and work as the two things that we're supposed to master in the course of our lives. And whatever people have to say about Freud, those two things, you know, rang true in um, the interviews that we've done. And um, love may not mean traditional marriage. We don't have to think about it that way. And certainly for people we, we interviewed, um, probably the most dramatic example was somebody who broke their arm early on in their in their life and decided um, that they didn't want to be in the family business, but they wanted to be a mus musician and a surfer, and and realized at some point that they needed to make money to be able to support all that and created a a business that tied to the parents' business where they made you know that made sandwiches and wraps. Um, all those are acts of moving from exploration to deciding that you're going to do what you want. And I don't mean that, and oh my God, I, you know, I'm going to do what I want, but that you're going to find um, a sense of what gives you purpose and impact. Uh -huh. um, the irony, I think, is that for most of the people who did that, they developed stronger relationships with their families. They wanted a role. Uh -huh. um, God, we have just tons of stories uh, coming from the people we interviewed. And the more people hear about what I'm doing, those are the stories they come back to tell me about. Yeah. And I think, again, that picks up on a, a point where whenever you or I either individual collectively talk about um, what we've been doing and, and the findings from uh, the research and, and obviously the, the book that you've written, it resonates that there there is this commonality of that. that's how I, I didn't know that's how I felt, but that's how I felt. Well, that's how I, I feel about it. And I think another key aspect of this is whilst, again, you and I work in a world that is, 
you know, family enterprise, family business, family wealth. The, the, the quest is an individual quest that is agnostic of whether you, you have the role in the family business. It's agnostic of whether you have a shareholding at some point or that you take on the, the wealth at some point. It is much more centered around an internal quest that we each are on to, to feel legitimate, to feel like we're able to contribute to um, the, uh, we got this term from, from the researchers, the, the institutions that we came from, so the, the groups that we come from in our lives, being able to feel like we can contribute back to that is a, is a hugely rewarding sense. And the clarity that can be delivered through taking ownership and, and through the, the phases that we've spoken about um, today can be really powerful, right? I loved a couple of things that you did on some of the interviews we had. There were a number of interviews, particularly the second ones that we did with people we had interviewed before, where you would ask um, the interviewee, I don't like them to call them subjects because we had real conversations with yeah. them, and the subjects seemed distancing, but you would ask, so at this point in your life, do you view yourself as a giant? And whether it's a giant or whether it's that sense that you can walk in the land of the giants, one of the people we talked to when you asked the question said, well, yeah, I, I have a special relationship with the generation coming up underneath me. And I think in their eyes in that world, I've become a giant. And um, I, I think even beyond people in prominent families, even the people I worked at Cook County Jail with, some of their idea was, their wish, if they could, would be to find a legitimate way to get recognition for what they do. Um, Cook County Jail was a wonderful example of seeing people who had, um, who at times can be amazingly in inventive, but didn't know how to put it to good use. Uh -huh. and, um, and I think that's a lot of what we discovered in the course of the interviews, and particularly in this period of taking ownership, is the sense that I can put it to good use. Um, I can pass it on to the next generation. It's, it's such powerful stuff. Yeah, and I think as well, it, we've mentioned a few times that the, the quest is not linear, although there, there are these four phases and we recognize that um, the people that we spoke to shared this common experience of experiencing these four phases. What it also means is that if you get to feeling that sense of ownership about something, you've gone through the phase of being aware and exploring the tug of war and, and taking ownership of it. It doesn't mean that something's not going to come along where that awareness phase is reignited. But I think the, the reassurance that can be taken that this these are all opportunities for growth to become, to take even more ownership, to become much more comfortable in who we are and, and that feeling of legitimacy growing it's not it's not a destination right it's, this is a lifelong quest we're all on a lifelong quest for legitimacy 
and I think that it, it's important to highlight there's you can't rush through this. It's not a case of going, if you do A, B, C, and D, all of a sudden you will feel legitimate and you will be, uh, you, you'll be able to take ownership of your life. It's something that people need to live and to experience. It doesn't mean you can't be helped and guided through it, and, and that's part of what we're doing uh, here and the work we're doing together is helping to, to guide and, and support people through this. But, but it's not a, a one-time thing, right? It's not something where you go, I've reached um, my ownership phase at 32. What what now? Russ, I think that's more and more true as people live longer, right? You know, I'm in an age that at one point people would have been dead or retired. Uh And I'm probably in the most productive period of my life. And um, the traditional use of the word rising wouldn't apply to me. But um, but I, I think rising, when it really takes on meaning, is when it's about what your life's about. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't mean it in, a, in an egotistical sense of, oh, my God, I'm greater than I was two days before. But um, in the sense of internally feeling more whole about who you are and what you're doing and how you're contributing. Um, Mm. And it's not a piece of cake, you know? It doesn't magically happen. There's Mm -hmm. there's effort in it. Absolutely. And and one of the things, again, that resonated with me was, obviously, we spoke to the the people that that we spoke to a couple of times over uh, a couple of years, and we kept in touch with them and and are feeding back the the findings of of what we um, sort of discovered through the process. And, and I think what's very uh, encouraging and, and reassuring is that most of the people that we spoke to said, we wish we'd known this was a thing before we experienced it. Now, there wasn't a way to know because obviously we, we're just launching the book and, and doing the research now. But again, the reassurance that comes from not being alone, ha- having um, a, a framework to refer to to go okay now I understand this I can I can label I can call it something although it might look different and feel different for people it, it was really reassuring to know that this is something that is a shared experience across people from a completely different continent to me in a completely different environment um, and I think that's an important message to echo on on today's conversation as well yeah I, I think Russ it, it's become a challenge for you and I because writing a book has been amazing. Doing the research has been amazing. The experience of working together has been amazing. But translating this in some ways that would help other people in not feel lonely and isolated and be able to rise to their best selves, boy, that would be amazing. So we still have oh. some work ahead of us. Yeah, um, and uh, I'm very excited about that. I think that that's a, a great point to, to bring this uh, particular conversation to an end. We have an, another episode that is coming up where we delve into a bit more detail around what's referred to in the book as a breaking moment and, and periods of uh, liminality after uh, or uh, as part of those breaking moments. Um, and I'm, again, very excited about uh, digging into those in, in much more detail. 
Um, but for now, Jamie, thank you again for, for joining me on the show and, and look forward to our next conversation. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Russ. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.